you skinned up to the top of Crested Butte Mountain, you ski down as fast as you can, you hop on your road bike, you ride from the resort all the way down Highway 135 to uh, just north of Gunnison. There's a put-in there on the Gunnison River where you jump into your kayak. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 165, you may have never heard of these types of races, all kinds of multi-sport fun with Dave Weens. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have returning guest Dave Weens on with us. And the reason we're having Dave back is for one, he's done so much stuff. We couldn't cover it in one show. We probably couldn't cover it in 10. Dave also has some really fun events coming up very soon that we want to make sure that all of you know about. Some fun opportunities for listeners in Colorado or listeners who might want to come through Colorado and, and take part in these things. So Dave Weens. Let me give a, a little brief sketch here for those of you who did not catch the first show that he did with us. He is the founder and director of the Mountain Sports Program at Western State Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado. He is also the founder and executive director of the Gunnison Trails organization. He is also an ambassador for the Leadville Race Series, which is an amazing thing that we'll have to spend some time talking about. He is a mountain bike racer. He's an adventure racer. He is a multi-sport event champion, and I say that because he has come up with and participated in more different types of multi-sport races than uh, most people know exist. And so we're going to dive into what that means a little bit and how participating in these events becomes a motivation to get out there and get healthy and, and make it happen. So Dave, welcome to the program. Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate being on again. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. In the first show that we did with you, we talked a little bit about what Gunnison, Colorado is. I'd like for you to fill us in again for people who don't know. Gunnison, Colorado, to me, is just this amazing little uh, isolated mountain town that is surrounded by public lands. And as, a, as someone who grew up in the Front Range, I grew up in Denver. Uh, I love the Denver area. But I was always pining to be in the mountains and, and came to, to Western State in 1982 and, and bounced around the West a little bit uh, doing various uh, adventure uh, mountain sports and finally settled here for good in, in 1987 and finished school at Western and uh, at that same time became interested in, uh, in mountain biking and, and had a, a very fulfilling and, and fun uh, and fortunate mountain biking career. That was on top of uh, an original passion in, in alpine skiing and also whitewater kayaking. Uh, but I, I just really like the pace of life here. I like the town itself. I love the people. I love its location. Uh, there's, a, there's always something to do. The seasons, as we know, living in Colorado are great because we get to switch gears. We get to put our bikes away. We get to get our skis out. Uh, and really, you never you never get tired of anything because then it's time to to switch it up and do something new. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not, this community isn't influenced by any other neighboring community because there's nothing close. Salida is 60 miles to the east and they're the same size as we are. Montrose is 60 miles to the west and they're not much bigger than we are. Uh, we've got Crested Butte just up the road. So if anything, you know, we have more uh, in common with with Crested Butte and, and that's really our valley is the Gunnison Crested Butte Valley Phenomenal mountain biking, phenomenal skiing, rivers, kayaking, fishing, camping, backpacking, surrounded by wilderness areas. Uh, just, you know, really a phenomenal place uh, if you love the outdoors and the public lands uh, to visit or to live. Oh, yeah. It, it really is awesome. So as you go east um, towards Salida, then you go over Monarch Pass and there's Monarch Ski Area there. If you go north up your valley, you get to Crested Butte, which is just an epic ski area. It's it's amazing. 
so much steep, radical inbounds terrain there that you don't find in a lot of places. You bet. And when I ask myself, why do I live in Gunnison? You know, what is it that, that was, you know, the original hook for this place was the Crested Butte ski area and that terrain that you speak of. Uh, you never get bored skiing up there. They've just got the, the, the most phenomenal inbound skiing of, uh, of any ski resort in Colorado. So, yeah, it, it's, it's top shelf, certainly. Well, and then you talk backcountry, all the passes, like from Crested Butte to Aspen, for instance. In the summer, amazing scenery, amazing wildflowers, just gorgeous, gorgeous mountains, a whole area. And in the winter, people race across those passes on skis, too. You bet. The uh, one of the, the the iconic events of the of the Gunnison Valley is the Elk Mountain Grand Traverse, which is uh, the race from Crested Butte to Aspen. And uh, I I've participated in that race several times, but I hadn't for a number of years. And uh, this year, my son uh, he's a senior in high school. He was going to do it with a buddy of his. They've done a little bit of ski mo ski mountaineering racing, but uh, it turned out his friend was going to be gone that weekend as it was spring break. So he says, Dad. Will you do the Grand Traverse with me? And the Grand Traverse is a very difficult race. And I said to him, I said, no, <laughs> yes, yes, of course I will. Um, so uh, just in the last uh, couple of months, I had the you know phenomenal experience of, of training for, preparing for, and racing in the Grand Traverse with, with our oldest son. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to go to Aspen because of the, the snow conditions, but we did uh, what's called the Grand Reverse, which was still a phenomenal night out, uh, and we had a great time. And yeah, the Grand Traverse, I think it's it's very uh, very much what the Gunnison Valley is all about. It's uh, it's it's unique, it's hard, it's it's in the backcountry, and uh, you know it's just an example of one of of many uh, different style of, of outdoor adventure events that we have uh, up here in the Gunnison Valley. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a cool one. So if you go west, you come across the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, a new national park. Yes, and and you know I'm not I'm not uh, a climber, but I've known some of the climbers that have been you know working routes, and I I think it's world class as far as the actual climbing that's in the Black Canyon, and it's a it's a tough place to visit, it's a tough place to see. Uh, I've had my best views of the Black Canyon uh, on commercial airline flights out of Montrose. <laughs> DIA, that's where you really get a feel for what that place is like. But yeah, no, the Black Canyon is amazing. Cura County uh, National Recreation Area, they're they're one and the same as far as they're part of the national park system. And uh, we're very fortunate to, to yeah have that to our west. Yeah, there's some pretty impressive kayak runs down in the bottom of that canyon as well. Absolutely. Just crazy times, beautiful place, really, really cool. And if you go south a little bit from there, of course, you get Lake City Engineer Pass, you get the 14ers at that are all over the place over there for the people that like to climb the 14ers and do that mountaineering aspect. I mean, Gunnison is in the middle of everything. Yes, there, there's a lifetime of exploring here. And, and now that I've been here for a long time, what I'm realizing is that I'm not going to see even close to all of it. Uh, you mentioned heading to the south of Gunnison. You know, that's the San Juan Mountains. And that's a huge mountain range that, that um, we can access in different parts of it from the Lagarita Wilderness, which is further to the east, to the Big Blue, which is kind of in the middle. And then you've got the whole Sneffels, Mount Wilson area, which is further to the west. Uh, those are all the northern San Juans. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities for exploration in there. And that doesn't even speak to the, the approach to those high mountains, which is, uh, all kinds of high desert terrain around, uh, you know, the obscure highway, Colorado 114, which goes over North Pass. Uh, it's kind of a road to nowhere. Very few people have driven it because it doesn't really connect very populous areas. But, uh, you know, there's just wide open, vast uh, spaces out there just ripe for exploration if if you have the time for it. Oh, yeah. And Colorado is known for its wilderness areas. And the biggest wilderness area in the state is smack dab in the middle of what you just described, the Wimanichi Wilderness there. Yeah. That, yeah. That, it's just a gorgeous area. Yeah. So for the listeners who don't know what a wilderness area is, we're not just talking about a wild place. We're talking about a place that's designated by the federal government. Um, to be machine-free, so no cars, no planes, no motorcycles. You walk in, you walk out, and these areas are just pristine and beautiful because um, they are protected from a lot of our modern modes of travel. It really quiets things down and allows those areas to thrive in their natural state. So if you haven't been to one, boy, they're awesome. Yeah, and also very important to the wilderness areas is that they're free of extraction. 
so you won't have any any you know mineral or oil and gas uh, exploration or extraction happening in the wilderness area. It's permanently protected. So which came first? You know, all the all the amazing things that surround you, or all the amazing sports that you do in these amazing areas around you. Well, re- really, the uh, I guess as a youngster, and I'd say at around the age of fourteen, uh, I I became interested in river sports. And that was my introduction, I guess, to what I call the mountain sports. And I had been a you know fairly recreational skier, I guess, an avid skier to that point. My folks introduced us to skiing, and we we skied. But uh, at that point, with, with you know being obsessed with rivers in the summers, uh, I became I started working in a ski shop in Denver, an old place called Sports International. Maybe some of your listeners will remember that near Thomas Jefferson High School. Uh, it was a specialty alpine ski shop. Uh, got way more into skiing and, and back then, you know, extreme skiing was brand new. And, and that was, those were the days of Scott Schmidt and Glenn Plake, you know, Warren Miller was the, the only ski film, the ski movie, uh, guy in town, except then some films from Greg Stump came along about that same time. And that was really the beginning. And of course, now Teton Gravity Research, Matchstick Productions, you could just go on and on. There's all kinds of people making, you know, phenomenal films about, uh, and not just skiing, it's skiing, snowboarding, uh, you know, river sports, climbing, you know, uh, those those suits that they fly in, base jumping, all kinds of things like that. So I guess I, I became interested in, in these kinds of sports uh, at a relatively young age. And to pursue kayaking and to pursue skiing, I chose Western State and its location. Um, did a little bit of competitive ski racing, but didn't grow up ski racing. So I, you know, had a go at it and realized, you know, fairly quickly, I wasn't going to be a, a ski racer and I never did compete in a kayak. It was more just uh, river running for, for adventure and fun. Um, but did, uh, have a mountain bike early on because that was sort of what I considered to be the elusive toy. Had my boats, I had my skis, uh, mountain bike was pretty expensive and, and hard to come by. But when I did finally get one and moved back to Gunnison after living in Jackson Hole, a lot of my friends were racing mountain bikes. So it was pretty natural for me just to jump into some racing. And uh, that's really when I started to to do the events. And the mountain bike races were the first of those events. But in the dryland training at Western State, uh, when I went out for the collegiate ski team there, and I never actually made the team, they would cut it down from 30 alpine skiers to I think they, they would only have nine or ten when they made their cuts. Uh, a very elite team. I wasn't even close to to the cut line. Uh, but we did this dryland training in the fall, Kurt, which was just amazing. And we just they just ran us, and and you know that's where I really I think started to develop a, a love of endurance and the outdoors. They would put us into into vehicles and take us. You know the coach was you know adamant that we see this country, and and we would get loaded up and taken out. And we would do these runs, you know, six, eight, ten mile trail runs out in the middle of nowhere in the fall when the leaves were, were golden. Um, and so I really learned a lot from that experience. And so when I did start racing mountain bikes, uh, I think I had at least a little bit of a foundation going um, in those kind of sports. But for me, it's always been about the adventure. And I don't know that I liked racing bikes as much as I liked riding bikes. And racing, if you're, if you're a racer, uh, you have a built-in excuse to train. And training to me meant riding a mountain bike. And I know a lot of mountain bikers ride on the road. And I'm one of those now because I recognize that training on a road bike is actually really good for your fitness. But back then, for the longest time, I would shun road riding. I only wanted to ride my mountain bike because I just wanted to explore this place, yeah. uh, you know, on a mountain bike. Well, you recently did a, a multi-sport, and let's use this one as an example of what we're talking about here. You did a pole pedal paddle. What is that? Yeah, the, the event that I did is called the, the, the CB3P is the short name for it. It's the Crested Butte Pole Pedal Paddle. And uh, these guys uh, came up with this great format. I think this was the fourth year of the event. And you start at the base of Crested Butte Resort and you have your ski mountaineering gear on, your lightweight AT gear uh, or whatever you have, actually. I think there were some guys on split boards even. And uh, again, it's all comers from people who are real serious about it to people who are just out to have a fun day. And there were teams, too. One person would do the ski. Uh, the second leg, after you, you skinned up to the top of Crested Butte Mountain, you ski down as fast as you can. You transition over to a road bike. You hop on your road bike. You ride from the resort all the way down Highway 135 to uh, just north of Gunnison. There's a put-in there on the Gunnison River where you jump into your kayak and you paddle down a four- or five-mile section of the Gunnison River to the Gunnison Whitewater Park where the finish line is. 
So you can do it as an individual or you could do it as a team and each person would take one of the legs. So uh, I'd always wanted to do this event because I, you know, I have a kayak and I can kayak and I obviously I can ride a bicycle and I like the, the ski mountaineering too. So I just had never, uh, never, you know, taken the plunge. And this year, for whatever reason, I said, you know what, I want to do the CB3P and, and uh, did it. And it was a great day. It was a, a super experience. Uh, and about halfway down the bike ride, it dawned on me that exactly 30 years earlier, I had done the pole pedal paddle in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is you know maybe one of the originals, if not the original, and a, a very uh, a very you know of an event with a lot of heritage. And same thing, I jumped into that. It was really the first sort of uh, endurance racing that I had done, and, and that one was an, an Alpine Super G ski race from the top of the Thunder Chair, where they put you in heats of seven. They lined you up in a Le Mans start, meaning your skis were put out on the snow. And you had to run, you know, 100 yards to your skis. So seven, <laughs> seven racers in a heat, ready, go. And we're running for our skis. Then they set a super G course, which was really fast, all the way from the top of the thunder or the, yeah, the top of the thunder chair down. So 3,000 vertical feet of, of a super G. And then uh, at that point, I believe there was a Nordic, a Nordic ski leg. And then you jumped on your bike and you did the road ride to the Snake River. And then you hopped in a kayak. And uh, I remember I, I was a you know pretty good skier, so I, I was leading after the ski leg. And that year, they may not have even had a Nordic leg, and it might have been for lack of snow. I think we jumped straight onto our bikes, and I had my brand-new specialized 1985 stump jumper. And I hopped on this bike, and I start pedaling my, my guts out down this flat road from Teton Village heading for the Snake River. And all of a sudden, here came a pack of road riders by me. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know anything about bike racing or road riding or a draft. And I was here, I was riding this mountain bike and, you know, these six guys just, they were all together and they were in a pace line and they just rode right past me. And I had no idea that, you know, possibly I could get on them and, and draft them for a little bit, just completely naive. And they were, they passed me and they were gone. And I just remember it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a struggle, the whole experience and riding the bike. And I wasn't in shape for much of anything except for alpine ski racing at the time. The the paddle, I thought, well, I'm a good kayaker. I'll catch a bunch of people on the paddle. And I didn't see a soul on the paddle. And, you know, it turns out, you know, a lot of these guys have special fast boats. And and it's harder to make up time in the kayak anyway. And I had a a plastic whitewater boat. But it was was just a kind of a cool sort of, um, realization that, wow, here it is 30 years later. And I'm, you know, no plan to this at all. Just an irony that I'm doing uh, a very similar event in the Gunnison Valley, but, uh, had a, had a ton of fun with that event and, um, you know, plan to do it again. Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new SIOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing, now that's progress. Visit SIOEYE.com and share your next adventure live. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events.
What does it feel like to do an event like this? So you start out skiing, and then you're you're pedaling a bike, and then you're paddling a kayak. I mean, I think quite a few people have done a triathlon, but that's a totally different experience. So what are the, I guess the the changes in the muscles, and how do you feel when you go from one sport to the other? Yeah, I, I was really you know curious about that because I haven't done a lot of um, where it's stacked so so quickly like that and. You know, one of the other aspects that was really cool was that my son Cooper, our oldest, he supported me for it. So he was there at the transitions because how you dress for those things is, is um, you know, there was a storm around. You're going to sweat going up the ski mountain. You don't want to freeze coming down. Then on the road bike, you're coasting down the first part. Uh, so there's a lot of strategy involved in, in you know, how, how are you going to dress for this thing? Then you're going to jump in a kayak on a, on an icy river and you don't want to, you know, make sure that you're going to be warm enough for that or not overheat. But, um you know, and also you're, if you're, you know, a competitive person like I am, you're, you're going as hard as you can at every single one of these. So you're just basically redlining the ski, you get on the bike, you redline the bike, you get in the kayak and you redline the kayak. And the, you know, I felt pretty good. I was, I was definitely worked toward the end and the bike ride got a little bit tough toward the end and the ski, the ski was tough, but I didn't feel, I didn't get into my, onto my bike and go, wow, I'm, I'm completely, you know, messed up from that, that ski. I didn't notice that sort of a feeling. I felt pretty good there. And then, of course, in the kayak, I don't have the upper body um, because I haven't hadn't paddled a kayak for eight or ten years. Uh, there was certainly some muscle memory there, and I was able to read the water well enough to find the the right channels to be in to be fairly quick. But I do remember, you know, I got my boat out the day before the race, and I got in it in the backyard just to see if I could, you know, what it felt like to be in my kayak again. And I got in it with my jeans on, and everything was good. Um, and then when I got there to the to the transition, I couldn't get my legs down in the boat, and I was wearing tights. So I don't know if, if you know the legs were swollen a little bit just from the effort. Um, but I was you know I was there going I can't I can't I can't I had to like force my legs down inside the. <laughs> and then I was I, I couldn't get the spray skirt on. Luckily there were some people there to help. Um, you know little little things like that, and, and they shove you out in the river, but. Um, I didn't notice any huge, you know, nothing huge jumped out at me like, wow, that, you know, that was, you know, a lot harder than I thought it was. Um, and I think, you know, that part of that is mindset. Uh, I, I think mindset is so important in life and it's certainly important in sports. And, and I think you can, uh, really adapt how you, how you react to situations with your mindset. And if you have a mindset that and mine really is, you know what, I'm not going to be affected by that. That's not going to affect me. So that's, that's my mindset, and and you know maybe it does affect me. I don't, I don't I don't recognize it, but that's really the way I try to look at those kinds of things. I don't want to overbrain uh, something like that. Hey, how's it going to feel paddling your kayak after doing a big ski and a and a, and a long bike ride? I'm like, well, it's you know probably going to be a little bit tiring, but you know I'm just going to suck it up and get out there and and uh, and get her done. But uh, <laughs> man, I could see uh, after skinning up to the top of the mountain skiing down and then pedaling you know you jump in a kayak so you went from legs just like you said you're 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 pedal to the metal the whole way right so in a kayak your legs don't work that hard but they stabilize your body and they're they're kind of in an area where they could get cold yeah and so you go from this just you know um lactic acid producing crazy you know pulling and and pedaling and now you jump in a boat where your legs are locked in place. I think, man, how many people would cramp up and just have to crawl out of the boat to get rid of the Charlie horse? And I think people have, have, have had that experience. And, you know, luckily we had done a lot of, of schemo during the winter. So I think those muscles, while they weren't perfect, because I hadn't, you know, there'd been a bit of a break, um, they were still what I call activated. And, and then the kayaking, the, there's some muscle memory there. I got right in the kayak and I actually, I was concerned about how I was going to feel in the kayak. Uh, just because you're kind of locked into one position. And as I get older, you know, my back hurts more, you know, just you know, all those things that come with, with age. And I was surprised I was more comfortable in the kayak than I thought I would be. And the paddling is really, there's a lot of, there's a lot of arms, but really if you're paddling well, it's more core and you're doing a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the work with your trunk and the rotation at your hips. But I thought maybe I was going to, you know, if one of my feet are going to fall asleep or, and you had to actually get out of the kayak at the end, and they had the finishing line was was about um, I don't know fifty feet up the shore. So you did have to get out of your boat, pick up your boat, and carry it across the line. And you know I had a lead in that race, a uh, pretty good lead because it was pretty bike friendly. It was pretty friendly to the bike leg, 
And um, I was in the boat, and I kept looking behind me, seeing if uh, if the competition uh, fellow that lives here in Gunnison named Jesse Rickert was coming. And all of a sudden, toward the end of the kayak, I looked back, and there he was. So he was, he was coming for me, and I'm thinking, oh, man. And I just started paddling as hard as I could, and I got to the to the put out or the, the takeout there, and I was thinking, you know, what if I can't get out of my boat? What if I'm stuck? <laughs> what if, uh, you know, but it, it worked out okay. I was able to get out of the boat, and he was only, you know, 30 seconds behind me at the end. He had made up, uh, you know, four or five minutes on the paddling section. That was something he was really, really good at. But <laughs> You know, one thing that's different about paddling that some people may not know is the length of the boat determines how fast it'll go unless you can actually skim across the surface of the water, which you generally don't do unless you're going off a waterfall. So right. it, the guys that have the longer boats, they're automatically faster. It's the laws of physics. You bet. Yeah, and there was the whole variety of boats out there. There were guys that had really fast downriver racing boats, which are designed essentially to go as fast as possible from point A to point B. Some of the guys just had their, you know, and girls had their new whitewater boats and the new planing holes, they're not fast at all. No. My kayak happens to be an old whitewater kayak from 1992 or 1993. And it's still a fairly fast, um, you know, for a whitewater, for a plastic whitewater kayak, it was still fairly fast. I was, I was glad I still had it. <laughs> well, that's fun. I like the stories about it. So that's the CBP three. You sure that's not from star Wars? <laughs> that was C3PO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Wow. So that's a great example of a multi-sport event. I mean, people know about triathlons, but you just showed us something that a lot of people have probably never heard of, but what a fun time. And the whole time you're doing this, you're in the most beautiful scenery on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, and, and it was, uh, you know, you're up in the high mountains and then you're and the temperatures are colder up there. As you come down the valley, it's a really cool time of the year. It's a time of year I like because the valley's pretty quiet. And, you know, not a lot of uh, tourism going on in April. And we pretty much had Highway 135 to ourselves, even though there, there are huge shoulders on it. Um, so it, just, it does. It just has a really, a really uh, nice vibe. And and uh, you're connecting the communities. You're up in Mount Crested Butte. You you just skim the town of Crested Butte as you come through. Uh, and then uh, you you skirt around Gunnison too, but uh, yeah, just just a phenomenal location for something like that. Yeah, that's great. Well, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this next one, but since you are an ambassador for the Leadville Race Series, you got to describe what that's about. Well, the uh, the the Leadville Race Series is uh, obviously more events than just the Leadville Trail 100, which is the the big one everybody knows about. So they've created a, a race series, and it's races in. Uh, the season starts in Austin. It was a few weeks ago, uh, the Austin Rattler. And these are all around 100-kilometer races or in that 60- to 70-mile range. Uh, the Wilmington Whiteface race is coming up uh, near Lake Placid, New York. That's in, the, I think, the first weekend of June. Uh, that's a really, uh, really fun course. I'm going to head out and do that one. Then the Tahoe Trail 100 uh, follows the Silver Rush 50, which is a, a race that happens in Leadville. A lot of folks in Colorado are familiar with the Silver Rush 50 uh, the Tahoe Trail 100 is the next weekend after that, I believe. Uh, that's out at North Star at Tahoe. Again, it's a 100-kilometer format. And there's uh, the Lutzen 99. That's one I haven't done. That's part of the Leadville Race Series. That's a 99-mile race. I believe that one's in uh, northern Minnesota. And then the Barn Burner is a 100-mile race down near Flagstaff. That happens in the fall. But these races, you can qualify for Leadville uh, based on your finishing time and your age group. And also, if you if you can achieve a, a minimum time standard, then they do have a lottery at the end of each race where they pull some some names out of a hat, and you can qualify for the Leadville 100 that way. But we've seen these races uh, start out, you know, fairly pedestrian, two or three hundred competitors, to where Austin sold out this year at 850 competitors mm-hmm. uh, in the Austin Rattler. So those races are seeing a lot of growth. They're designed to be more accessible. They're not hardcore mountain bike races uh, with tons of technical single track there. And, and I'm, I'm asking people when I'm at there, so, you know, you know, how much of this kind of thing have you done or, or what's your story? What we're seeing is a lot of triathletes, road triathletes who want to try the, the off-road thing, uh, road, road cyclists who want to try the off-road thing, and then people who are just brand new to, to all endurance that just say, hey, you know, this is something that I want to try. Uh, for some reason, they heard about whether it was the Leadville 100 or just that race or another race. Uh, you know, they want to start riding bikes off road, and they're really good, 
good events for that because they're not, they're more accessible. They're not, I mean, they're hard because they're endurance events and it's a hundred kilometers. You still have to pedal your bike, but they're not so daunting as far as some of the, the technical challenges on the courses. So what's the best bike for the Leadville 100? Uh, in my opinion, the best bike for the Leadville 100 these days would be a hardtail 29er, you know, built, set up as, as light as you, as light as you could make it. Uh, we, you know, within reason, obviously with, you know, your tire selection, you might go not quite as light as possible because you want the, you want to be able to finish the race. You don't want to destroy your, your tires out there. There's some pretty sharp rocks out there, but, uh, you know, the guys that set the record last year that, that broke six hours were, uh, at least Alban, the, the, the fellow that rides for my team, the Ergon, the Topeak Ergon team, uh, he was on a hardtail 29er, uh, a Canyon bicycle called the Canyon Grand. I don't know if it was the Canyon, uh, the Canyon Grand Canyon, I think is what it was. There are so many different varieties of bikes now, and they've become more specialized to the individual sports and the way that you want to ride. It's just kind of fun to see where people are going with them. It is. Mountain biking is is gone off in a lot of different directions, and, and all of them are good. And uh, there's so many different ways that you can be a mountain biker, and, and you see a lot of mountain bikers who who do it all. Yeah, they've got a lightweight race bike for courses like Leadville, and then they love to ride on a, a you know really technical steep trails on a trail bike that has a lot more suspension, a lot more travel. Uh, you know, there's even variations in road bikes now where there are the endurance road bikes with disc brakes that are designed to take bigger tires so that, you know, you're, you're more apt to take those on gravel roads or dirt roads. So it's not, you know, exclusively a bike for the pavement anymore. Uh, gravel grinders, uh, the, the bicycle has, has gone in so many awesome directions, fat bikes, you know, winter fat biking. I got to a little taste of that this winter, which was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, the biking thing is, is really good. The challenge is how many bikes can you have? <laughs> you got to get a bigger garage. That's yeah. The people talk about the quiver and everyone's got a different one. And it, oftentimes it starts with one that people quickly get sucked into. Uh, oh, well, yeah, that bike is good for that. But boy, if you want to do this, you want, you want to have one of these. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, we love our bicycles. <laughs> no doubt about it. So multi-sport. Let's talk about some other multi-sport events. The ones um, in particular that benefit the Gunnison Trails. What's that about? Yeah, last year uh, we had, we started an event in 2008 called the Original Growler, and it's a mountain bike race. And it's a pretty hardcore mountain bike race. Unlike the the Leadville races I was describing earlier, this one is tough. It's technical. It's it's got a lot of single track. The single track is challenging. We suggest that if you're a beginner, you don't try this race. This is a race for, um, you know, for mountain bikers that, that have some skills because it's game on mountain biking from start to finish out at the Hartman Rocks area on BLM public lands here. And uh, I've always had this idea for a multi-sport event. And it goes back to my days uh, adventure racing where we had this one training day that my buddy Jason and I would call a sneaker ride. And what a sneaker ride was, was simply bringing your running shoes in a backpack and then going on a mountain bike ride somewhere, getting to the point where you wanted to start your, your run and you, you leave your bike and you switch over to your, your running shoes and you go, uh, do a, a loop, on uh, a running, a trail running loop or bag a peak, uh, whatever it happens to be. And then you return to your bike and, you know, you get back out on your bike, but you're essentially using your bike as the approach. So the original growler course just happens happens to lend itself perfectly at the halfway point. It's about a 30-mile lap. At about mile 15, there's, you're at the farthest point in the course. You're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you're on the shores of South Beaver Creek. And right there is the trailhead for what we call the Aberdeen Loop, which is a, a oh, it's a 9- or 10-mile loop, almost all single track, climbs about 1,000 feet. Uh, in the high desert has phenomenal views. You can see the San Juans. You can see Monarch Pass. You can see the Elk Mountains above Crested Butte, uh, the West Elk Mountain Range, Fossil Ridge. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, so finally last year, as part of the Growler, I, I sold uh, or we sold some entries into this event we call the Original Meowler. And uh, the Growler uses a wolf as our icon and the Meowler is a mountain lion. And while wolves haven't existed in this country for decades, we do have uh, plentiful mountain lions. So our, our mascot or our mark, if you will, is, is more apt here. And it's a bit of a play on words, and, and the name isn't wildly popular with everybody, but I really like it, and maybe that's <laughs> all that matters. So 
the Meowler was well received last year. And, and the way it works is you're riding the growler course, but at that halfway point, you pull into a transition area and you, uh, you park your bike and you pull your sneakers out of a backpack. You can't have someone bring them out. We don't have drop bags. It's completely self-supported as for gear. Now we've got aid stations and feed zones all around the course. So your hydration and your nutrition, uh, we got you covered there. Um, but you've got to either run it in your, in your cycling shoes, ride it in your running shoes, or what most people do is bring along their running shoes in a pack. So you'll transition to your, your running shoes. You'll do this, this, I think it's a nine or 10 mile loop, pretty, pretty same thing, game on trail running, pretty technical, very rocky, uh, a lot of elevation gain. You get back to your bike, you put your bike, your cycling shoes back on, you put your running shoes back in your pack. And then you've got another 15 miles of, of technical, challenging mountain bike racing to the finish line. So the winning time last year, I think, was right around four hours. And, you know, we had a few people out there for close to eight. Uh, we do have a time cutoff, but it's just a little different style of, uh, of a multi-sport event. You know, the Xterras are, are very popular, but they're a little more mainstream triathlon in that you can stock the transition areas with your equipment. This one, the nice thing about it, and I've heard this from some of the competitors who, who don't have the resources and maybe they're alone, is they can drive down here. They can go to the parking lot where the race starts. They can get out of the car. They put their shoes in their pack. They line up and they race. They don't have to worry about shuffling gear around. Uh, they get to do a, an amazing you know, four to six or seven or even eight-hour event, almost all on single track in a beautiful location, really challenge themselves both on the bike and uh, out running the trails. And uh, so, you know, we, we think it's a, a pretty neat format. I haven't actually done it. I haven't run for a number of years. I'm not sure I could, but uh, our son did it last year. And, and it has uh, a lot of people that did it last year have, have signed up again and they're coming back. And we're even giving away some prize money this year. So uh, we've got $3,000 we're giving out. The winners, both men and women, will get $750. Second place is going to get $500 and third place is going to get $250. So uh, for some of the, the real hardcores out there, they can actually be racing for some, for some cash. But everybody else is really out for just a great day on the trails, on their bicycle and uh, in their running shoes. More information on the race, if you go to gunnisontrails.com, that's uh, the advocacy website, and look for uh, any of the clicks to the Meowler uh, you'll see them there and you can get full details on the race. And uh, if it sounds like something that you're up for, uh, it has a link to registration as well. So say that again, the website? Gunnisontrails.com. And that's our advocacy site. But if you look around, you'll see uh, Meowler link. Remember the name. This is the Meowler. Um, not actually a word, but um, we made it one. <laughs> And uh, if you click there, you can get more details on the event. We've got course profiles, course maps. You can really get a good feel for what it's like. There's a lot of photographs, uh, primarily of the bike leg, because the run leg was so far out last year, and it being our first year, uh, there's one picture of one of our competitors in the feed zone, and, and that's it. That's the only running photograph that I know of because nobody was out there, other than we do have a feed zone halfway through the run, uh, completely stocked with uh, – with honey stinger product and and uh, other regular food uh, and water for for folks to refuel on. That's that's awesome, man. Your uh, your multi sport approach is triggering all sorts of fun ideas in my mind here. I was remembering one day that a buddy and I decided we'd go climb Uncompahgre, fourteen or not far from you there by Lake City, right. And so we climbed Uncompahgre, and when we got down, the weather held, which doesn't usually happen, but this time it did. And we uh, we said, well, hey, let's do Wetterhorn. And <laughs> so it's it's really doing two separate mountains. This isn't a, a double peak that you bag. It's two separate mountains. But the idea is, what if you could bike between them? Sure. You know, and now suddenly, you know, people in Colorado like to do multiple peaks in a day if they can. Well, what if you put a bike leg in between these things? That opens up the state. You could have double, triple climbs all over the place. Yeah, no, you, you're right, Kurt. And I, I actually, there was a, a while there where I got on this, and other people have done this too. And there's actually, I'm sure there's a, in fact, I know there's a record for this. It would be the record for, there's, there's the record for climbing the 14ers, the really fast one where you're driving around. But how about the human-powered record? Right. You're climbing them all, but you're using a bicycle in between them, and it's exactly what you said. I mean, that's the, the big the big one is doing all of them. But as you mentioned, some of them are very adjacent, but that bike would be the the, the, 
the kicker to really make it work for you, especially in a day or much quicker. And uh, yeah, when you when you throw a bike into the mix uh, to use it as an approach, it really opens up the, the ground that you can cover. And when you combine the bicycle with foot, you have the best of both worlds because you can use the bicycle to get to a wilderness boundary on a trail that's open to bicycles. And then bicycles aren't allowed in a wilderness area, but you've actually used the bicycle to access it. And then you can put your uh, your sneakers on or your running shoes and, and do your, your foot adventure in a wilderness area. Um, but have the, the benefit of being able to get there via a bicycle. Yeah. I love that. House of Motorrad is Colorado's original adventure motorcycle rental company. From their top-of-the-line fleet of rental motorcycles like BMW, KTM, Triumph, and Yamaha to their expert service shop, they are your one-stop shop for all of your motorcycle needs. Servicing all makes and models from tire changes to engine rebuilds, House of Motorrad will take care of you and get you on the road. Visit www.houseofmotorrad.com to check out their selection of parts and accessories or call them at 720-466-0047. At House of Motorrad, your adventure awaits you. Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180tack.com to find your next camp stove. You know, in episode 61, that's going way back now, but Janae Duad was on... And he described climbing all of the 14ers in a single trip. So he designed a route where he could through hike Colorado and hit every 14er on foot the whole way. On foot the whole way. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal trip. It's a great episode, episode 61. But the idea that I just had here was, what if you gave him a bike for those in between in between stretches? You know, That'd yeah, be awesome. Absolutely, lots of fun. So. That's the growler and the meowler. I love it. Cool stuff. What about other multi-sports that you've participated in? Well, there was a time uh, in around 2004, 2005, 2006 where I, I, I say I dabbled in adventure racing. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I kind of hung up the mountain bike racing thing. I was still doing the Leadvilles. Leadville, to me, almost was an adventure-style mountain bike race at 100 miles. It, was, it didn't fit into that that. that cross-country box that I had been so used to during my racing career, you know, a 25 or 30 mile race of multiple laps. Uh, and there were some, some folks living here in Gunnison, uh, that were doing the adventure racing, Brian Wickenhauser, John Brown, Yari, uh, Hyatt, uh, got in with these guys and also Mike Closer, you know, one of my good friends from the mountain bike racing days who lives in Vail. And in fact, he's the one that got me, I guess, into my very first adventure race. It was the Teva games at that time up in Vail and it was what they called an adventure sprint race. And it was really, I think it was maybe a three-hour race where uh, we did some trekking, we did some mountain biking, and then we paddled Gore Creek in uh, these homemade boats. And that was sort of, uh, I guess, my taste uh, or my first uh, start into adventure racing. Then with uh, the guys here in Gunnison, went to, to Europe and we did this an incredible event called The Raid. It was put on by Solomon. And I'm thinking it was 2005. And, uh, it, it was amazing. I think it was August. We started in France. We were in the Alps. Uh, and it had, it had so many different elements. We started out in, in inflatable kayaks and paddled across Lake Annecy, I believe. And then we were just doing these treks that were so long. And this, this race was, was so brutally hard and so difficult from a sleep deprivation perspective. Um, you know, I, I had a tough time with a lot of it. The, the mountain biking was the one place I could, I could relax the paddling. I was okay at, uh, the foot travel was a little tougher for me. Uh, a lot of these guys were, were, you know, good runners and, and, uh, I mean that, that experience that we were out there for a week and, you know, at times we weren't sleeping that whole sleep deprivation thing, which everybody that's done adventure racing has a, 
a familiarity with it uh, is really strange. And, and, and I just have these vivid memories of, of being in the Alps at night with a headlamp, uh, whether on bikes or on foot, and just this, the strange vision that happens uh, from sleep deprivation and, and the different group dynamics. I mean, we were in, we weren't far from Chamonix. We were trying to get to Chamonix. It's the middle of the night. We're in a town. We've still got 10 or 12 miles to go on our feet. And the three guys, we're all wanting to sleep on a park bench. And our girl is trying to wake us up each individually. Come on, come on, Brian, get up. Let's go get these guys up. No, no, no leave me alone. Dave, Dave, come on, get up. We got, no, no, leave me alone. Sully, <laughs> Sully, get, wake up. Come on, get these guys. No, and things like that, that, that you just, it's so out of the ordinary. So, and, you know, adventure racing, it wasn't for me. I didn't do it much longer, but, uh, you know, had another another big adventure race with the Nike team, and that was Ian Adamson, Monique Merrill, and Richard Usher up in Norway and Sweden. It was the Adventure Racing Worlds in 2006. And, uh, you know, that was the same thing. That was just all these different sports. Once again, the mountain bike was my safety blanket. Uh, glacier travel was kind of a new one for me, and I was pretty, uh, you know, that really got my attention. I was very aware on that one. Uh, Via Ferrata. Uh, always got my attention when I had to put a harness on and I had to be roped into something because that doesn't come naturally to me at all. But, uh, what I really recall about that adventure race was that for whatever reason, when I go to Europe, I really have trouble sleeping over there. So I got to, to Europe. It was right on the heels of Leadville. I finished Leadville. Uh, I packed my bike, uh, in the doorway of the elementary school in Leadville. It was pouring rain. Uh, Susan drove me to the airport. I flew straight away to this adventure race, which started, uh, I believe on the next Wednesday. And we would, we had some mandatory rests or some, you know, sort of designed four hour sleeps. And I remember after the first leg, we got back to our cabin that where we were at our base camp and we just done a pretty big leg. We get back to the cabin and okay, we're going to sleep for four hours, guys. No sooner had the light gone off when I hear three people snoring and I didn't sleep a wink that night and, oh. or whenever I was, I think it was actually, it was in the middle of the day. So then I get up and I just, I, and I couldn't sleep for whatever reason. And then we were on a kayaking leg at night, a long paddle on the fjords up there and I couldn't stay awake. And it was, it was on me. I was the weak link at that point. I'm guys, you know, we got to do something. So we pull into the, this shore and, and we all ended up crashing really hard and too long and we wake up in the morning and here's another team had caught us and and you know the the dynamics of the team were getting a little interesting where you know we really blew that and and I felt kind of bad because it was pretty much me um, but then what ended up happening was that we actually then started going pretty well and we ended up running down we were in second to that point but we had a, a you know there was a big gap to the first place team we ended up running down that first place team all of a sudden there they were we could see them on this long trek and uh, we, we caught them, we passed them, we worked right through them. And then, you know, we still had a long way to go, but we didn't sleep again, uh, you know, probably for a day and a half oh. and ended up winning that race. And we, in, in the meantime, we, we roller skated, we rollerbladed. And here, this is adventure racing. We're rollerblading at night on roads that have cattle guards. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. And it, it's just, this is downright dangerous and then the road turns to dirt and we're on rollerblades <laughs> and, and i'm just thinking well this is crazy you guys and i don't know if that's what that promoter thought was a good adventure racer that was pretty typical but then uh then all of a sudden we're, we're caving and we're in these caves uh and that finally we we came up on we came out of these caves we went into these caves down in a canyon and we came out on top of a a big mountain it was really bizarre uh, eventually we got to finish with a bike ride and, and, uh, ended up, you know, winning the race and, and having a great experience, but, uh, didn't do much adventure racing after that. And as close as I'll get to it now, or, or I guess some of these, these sort of multi-sport affairs or the, the grand traverse, which is a, an overnight race, but yeah, there's a lot of opportunities out there for people to, to get out of their competitive box and try some new things. You know, Spartan racing is, is super popular. And I guess that's sort of a more, a mainstream version of adventure racing you can get a taste of it uh, it only takes two or three hours but you know if you if you're more discerning and you and you're looking for uh you know something like uh the mialer or the xterra races or pole pedal paddles or or you know ski mountaineering races like the grand traverse there's a lot of opportunities out there and 
what I always came back to is that the races were were okay, but the training to me is the best part. I don't think I'm alone in this, and I've, I've heard it from other people, is, is the racing is the cherry on top. The race itself that you register for is the motivation, and and in some ways it's the license that that we get to train. And I know uh, you know I work with a lot of people at these Leadville race camps, and and um, they just love to train on their bike. They love to have a challenge. When you when you register for an event, you're accepting a challenge, and you're you know you know I guess based on what event you signed up for that it's going to be difficult and it's going to require these skills and competencies. And uh, if it's an adventure race, then you're all over the map. If it's a triathlon, you better be you know, ready to swim, bike, and run. Uh, if it's purely a mountain bike race, then you can focus on that. But uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. It really gives your life some extra meaning. I think it adds a lot of motivation to people's lives having an event out there because, uh, let's face it, not everybody's job is, is the most exciting job in the world. And I know I've got when I have to do work. A lot of times it's emails. I'm I'm, I'm hunched over a computer looking at a screen, and uh, it's not my favorite thing to do. So really, what uh, along with my family, what saves me is getting outside and, and trying to train every day, uh, whether it's on the bike or on skis or uh, you know whatever it happens to be. It just it has so much value. You know that's a really good point. I think there are an awful lot of people that are stuck in the and the daily, you know, corporate America grind and they want to be healthy and exercise, but it is sometimes really challenging, let's just face it, to to do that when you get home at the end of a long day, especially because sitting in front of a computer is brain drain. It just it wears a person out, right? But if you have a goal, you have an event, something that says you got to do this. It kind of gives you that that kick in the seat of the pants, right? It it really does. And uh I guess an additional kick in the seat of the pants would be, you know, the the decisions that you make in your life as far as where you're going to live, what you have access to, and you know, if you're living in downtown Denver, it's a lot harder maybe to get out and and train uh, unless you're just going to get out. And if you're a runner or a cyclist, it's a little bit easier. Um, you know, what kind of job that you that you have and and where that enables you to live if you can live in a mountainous area. Or if you live in a metro area, you know, Salt Lake City or Denver are both good examples of metro areas that, that basically border the mountains. And you can get those those great after work and weekend opportunities uh, to get out and train. But other places, it's a little more challenging. And, and I'll come across people all the time, and, and, I, and I love it. They're so motivated, but they live in, you know, their job keeps them in Dallas or their job keeps them, uh, you know, somewhere else where they just don't have those opportunities. But they're still not even phased at all by signing up for the Leadville 100 and going to Leadville in August or or some other event, and and, uh, and they still train for it just as hard, and it's just as important in their lives. And um, you know, there's just something about it. And, and I've, I've often said this that that's the secret of life. You know, life is nothing more than a series of events. <laughs> because as soon as you finish an event that you've really been focused on, maybe some of the, the listeners have had this experience. Sometimes you feel a little bit empty because that carrot is gone. And you, you almost need to reset and constantly have that next one so that as soon as, uh, you know, that one's done, then, you know, you can enjoy that for a night or two. But you're all of a sudden starting to think about, well, you know, and, and this is the next one coming up. And even seasonally, we'll, we'll do that. We'll prepare for our seasonal sports in that way. Well, we're getting, you know, ready for mountain biking season. So it's, it's all that. But then all of a sudden in the fall, it's more, hey, you know, I need to, I'm a skier, I'm a snowboarder. So, and just start focusing more on what's going to um, you know, help me train for those sports. Well, Dave, you've given us a, a really cool overview of some sports that a lot of people probably haven't even thought about and a lot of uh, events that could help people to, you know, get that goal ahead and have that carrot. And, you know, I think it's important to have maybe two events planned, right? Absolutely. So you finish one and then you have another one to look forward to. And it just gives life a little bit of forward momentum, keeps us from getting stuck in the doldrums. So I love your approach to living it, man. It's it's a beautiful thing. And I really appreciate the time you took to share with us about all these things. If By the way, if anyone wants to hear your original episode, that's episode 139. And go back and listen to him there. Dave talks in that episode quite a bit about his mountain bike racing and tells a lot more about uh, Western Colorado State University's program that gets kids out doing these sorts of sports. And, uh, you know, if you're a high school student or a college student looking for a new home, then um, you might want to consider this. So episode 139 will tell you all about that. So, 
tell us one more time, Dave. You've got your uh, your growler meowler coming up when? Yeah, the uh, the Gunnison Valley has some 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 excellent endurance opportunities in late May. May 21st is the Sageburner Trail Runs. There's a 25K and a 50K out at the Hartman Rocks area. Uh, tons of single track, amazing views. The next day, May 22nd, is the original Meowler, and uh, that's the multi-sport event we talked about, bike, trail run, bike. Uh, you can register for that one uh, through the gunnisontrails.com website. Uh, for the Sageburner, you'd want to go to uh, or Google Sageburner Trail Run, and you'll come up with uh, the links that you need to access that event. Then the next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, um, that's going to be May 28th and May 29th. Those are the original Growler mountain bike races. Now, the half Growler on on Saturday, May 28th, is is sold out. Has been for a couple months now, but we've got I think 35 spots left in Sunday's events. And the events that we have on Sunday are either what we call Sunday's half, which is one lap of 32 miles of technical, awesome single-track trail riding. Uh, it's really an overflow for the, the sold-out growler that happens the day before. But then we also have the original growler, sort of what we call the main event, which is the full growler, which is two laps on that course. So it's around 64 miles, tons of single-track. Uh, we also offer a cash prize for that race, so it's $5,000. So the winners, both men's and women's, of the full growler on Sunday will take home 1000 bucks each. Uh, and you can register or find out more details about both of the growler mountain bike races also at gunnisontrails.com. Just look for the, the link to the growler, and there will be registration links uh, at that website. But um, good stuff if you like the, the, the trail running and the mountain biking in the Gunnison Valley. Uh, in late May, and it's a perfect time of year up here, and we'd love to see um, a lot of folks up here for those events. And for people that want to get in touch with you to find out more about the uh, the mountain sports program at Western, how do they do that? You bet. I I would say uh, you could contact me directly, and my email is d weens d w i e n s at western edu. Or you can go to the website, which is uh, wscumountainsports.com. And again, you know, with Google being as powerful as it is these days, if you Google Western State uh, Mountain Sports, you're going to come up with our website and you're going to see our full offering of skiing, mountain biking, snowboarding, and trail running. So the Western program is incredible for college students. Uh, you know, love everything about that. Uh, also, uh, with the Growler and the Meowler, those events 100% benefit trail advocacy. So your entry fees are going right back into the trails. And, uh, you know, we we're very proud of our trail system up here and, uh, we work hard to, to make it nice. And if you haven't ridden the trails around Gunnison or even Gunnison Crest of Butte, you should make it a point to come up here for your, uh, uh, hiking getaway, mountain biking, trail running. We've got some fantastic trails here. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, you, you sparked something. I'm going to throw this seed out there for our listeners. Some of these events sound pretty challenging and pretty big for people that are just trying to get off the couch and get out there. But here's the challenge. Come up with your own event, something that you love to do that combines multiple sports. Grab a buddy and say, let's set a date when we're going to do this. And then plan for it and train for it and use that as a motivation to get out and do something. And that way, it can be whatever length or difficulty that you're ready for. And it'll motivate you and add another element to your life. And that's what it's all about. Kurt, that's that's super strong. And uh, you, you don't have to have an official event to, to have a, essentially a, a training goal and get together with some buddies, get some maps out. I bet that your listeners know some places, hey, we can ride this trail and then you know do this run link it up uh, you can get river sports involved yeah create your own event and, and you're not putting you're not what i say what i call pinning the number on you're just going out and you're doing this with friends and really there's nothing more valuable than an experience like that oh yeah and you can do that any place on the planet so Absolutely. you can tailor the event to where you are yeah i couldn't agree with you more kurt well, Dave, thanks for your time today, man. Thanks for being on the show and filling us in on all of these multi-sports. Neat stuff. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. For all the listeners out there, as always, get out there and have some fun, but put together an event, something to challenge you that you can look forward to that'll get you up off the couch and get you out having that good time. 